Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Ski Instructor Podcast sponsored by Castley Skis. My name's Dave Burrows and I'm the director and owner of Snow Pro Ski School based here in Chambéry in Switzerland. I hope you're well. Um, it's a very snowy time here actually in Switzerland at the moment. There's a real weather system gone through and it's gone incredibly cold in the last uh, few weeks or so. Um, today it's snowing around five degrees outside um, and I know that it's uh, it's it's snowing in Sasfe too um, already and they've actually got I think as of Monday their their lifts are open all the way down to Morania so on a glacier that's about only about an hour and three quarters away from me they're skiing already about a thousand meters of vertical um, which is quite early actually because it's only you know mid-October um, so fair play to them for getting all of that open so early here in Switzerland, uh, we have um, still some sort of coronavirus restrictions, you would say. Um, we've still got masks and stuff uh, inside sort of enclosed spaces. Um, and that's going to be the same for uh, the, the, the ski season, actually. So the Swiss Association of Ski Lift Operators have, have said that the lifts aren't going to close this season, but it's going to be a, a season with some restrictions. So they're not restricting the number of people on the mountain, but what they are going to do is, is in enclosed lifts, so things like bubble lifts and telecabines, um, you know, trains, funiculars, uh, you're going to be obliged to wear a mask in there. Not so much in lift queues. They said that that's at your own discretion, which I think is quite interesting. Um, and uh, and and that's kind of what our, our our skiing experience is going to be here in Switzerland. I think for this this winter. Um, along with that, you're, you're you're probably going to be looking at less tour, you know, international tourist numbers. That seems to be the way it's going to play out now, unless you know governments of the world get their act together with with kind of how their 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 responses to this whole thing um you know we, we're at least six months into this now the stats are bearing out where and exactly how how dangerous this thing is and and until they sort out this this idea that you've got a quarantine on your way into a country and then when you get back home again there isn't going to be very much tourism from abroad for a lot of um, snow sports operators you know in, in resorts that rely on international trade and, and some of the reports on the ground that I've heard from some of those people are, are pretty apocalyptic in terms of, of booking numbers and that kind of thing um, we we have quite a lot of bookings from locals you know local um, people that, that live here and we're, we're extremely busy in that respect and there's lots of bookings going into the diary so there is a thirst for people who want to ski um yeah people are desperate to get out and about and onto the mountain into the fresh air but uh but but certainly um you know if you're relying on international business it's going to be a, a difficult winter i think unless something dramatic changes in the next month or two this episode we um i have an interview with Andy Rose. Um, Andy runs a business called Snow Camp Europe and he's based in Caprun. So Andy is now my de facto Austrian correspondent. And uh, in this first half, amongst the chat about cats and dogs, um, we are going to be talking a lot about the the Austrian ski instructor system, how it works and how you go through it. And, uh, and that's pretty much what we touch on uh, in this first half. So enjoy that and I will catch you in the middle somewhere. Andy Rose, welcome to the Ski Instructor Podcast. How are you? 
I'm very good, thanks Dave, and uh, thanks for having me on. That's all right, it's a pleasure. You're, um, you're my like Austrian correspondent, so. Hopefully I'll be able to correspond um, some Austrian information to you, as long as you don't want me to speak any German. Well, well, you're probably better than my German. I'm, I'm not very good, but uh, the, the we're both. I don't know. I think you give, by, give a bit of a background. So I've 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 been today. The reason I'm running late is um, I've been on my motorbike since about I don't know nine o'clock. I literally just walked in through the door. Um, we kind of accidentally went much much further than uh, <laughs> than we were expecting to. So I was in Mejev at like four o'clock. And uh, we kind of, I don't know. Hope there weren't any speed cameras on the way back. And uh, and you've been out, you've been up at your mountain hut cooking for the day. And uh, I have. <laughs> and then I came down, uh, rushed down, uh, got the dog, took her out, and uh, we've we've got a couple of dry days here in Austria. Therefore, all of the farmers have been cutting their grass, yeah. and subsequently they've sprayed all of the cow muck on the fields and. My dog decided to uh, do a, a dive bomb into a fresh load of dung, uh, which meant I had to bring her back and have a, a, give her a bath, which wasn't planned into my timings. No. Hence, uh, I, w- I was happy when you said you were going to be late. Yeah. But dogs really like baths, in my you know experience too. That, oh, my God. I can't imagine. Uh, I, I, I can't actually put her in the bath. I have to do it outside the bath, which then means I have to clean the bathroom. Yeah. She never to be, she never to be shakes everywhere. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, at the moment, I'm sat in my apartment with the balcony door open, and I'm not sure if the smell is my dog or the farmer's field outside. <laughs> um, I'm probably only going to find out about 11 o'clock tonight when I close the door and go to sleep uh, which one it is. They, they, <laughs> the thing is, they always look so pleased with themselves, don't they? Like they rolled in either fox crap or like cow muck or, or something horrible. She, so she definitely has a spring in her step. From the moment she's done it, even though you, I tell her off, yeah. she kind of bounces along for the next 15, 20 yeah. minutes. And then I think she realises, when I get home, he's going to bathe me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah, she doesn't really like it. <laughs> uh, I remember those days fondly, very fondly. Yeah. I was actually, as I was out riding today, I was thinking about my dog, my old dog. And... Uh, like the good times and the fun and stuff that we had together. It's, it's a shame. It's a shame that they have to leave you at some point. If, if, you, if, you, ever, if you ever want to borrow a, naughty, borrow a naughty beagle, then I've, I've got one that's available. <laughs> no, I'm all right, actually. I'm all right. We've got this funny, actually. Since we've not had... So, since my dog passed on, it's... Um, we, we've kind of... We had a cat for the last year. And I hadn't really appreciated the value of cats before. Like, it's, so you kind of get... Not many, but some of the benefits of pet ownership, but without any of the work involved. Like you have to walk it, you have to get up in the middle of the night, you have to do that kind of dog walk when it's raining, you know. Yeah, it's I've never thought of it like that, actually. Pretty, pretty good, actually, like, as an animal. Yeah, I, I'd not thought of that, actually. And yeah, yeah, you wouldn't have to walk it in the rain. No. There's loads of things you wouldn't have to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe, maybe cats are the future. Well... It could be. But the only thing about the cat is, you know, like there's something very satisfying about giving a dog like a belly rub. Turns out you can't do that with cats. They don't like it. And so my arms are like in pieces because I always make the mistake of going for its belly and it just scratches and <laughs> it just like, full on attacks me every time I do it. And uh, yeah, no, well, never mind. But well, because this cat that we got, sorry, listener, I know we're supposed to be talking about skiing, but this cat that we have is. Um, 
was was sort of a rescued from a when I mean, it was two months old. There were some people who had it in like a one bed apartment on a second floor in Lausanne somewhere. So it was like a city cat. And so now this cat has been transferred to this sort of house on the side of a mountain in Valais. And it's turned into the most like prolific tree climbing killing machine that you've ever seen. It's like it just brings dead stuff like all the time. It's like, look what I've killed tonight. It's ridiculous. It's amazing where it finds all this stuff. Well, it's funny. I got my, um, I got mine. I, I bought it some rabbit ears today. All right. Uh, I think dried rabbit ears, like pig ears. Yeah. Uh, because I thought if she kicked off during the uh, the recording, then I would, um, I'd give her a rabbit ear. And then that reminded me about the time she actually caught a rabbit and what she did. Oh. And uh, yeah, she thought she was the bee's knees that day as well as today with the <laughs> with the cow muck. <laughs> right. Uh, well. Well, okay, so pet and animal digressions uh, aside, um, and tangents, of course, are welcome on this podcast, as, as, you, as you will know. Um, you are based in Caprun in Austria, um, and I understand that the tourist season has just sort of passed now. There's not, if, if, you're to, if, the, if the area around you looks anything like the area around me, it's just like old hikers now that are left. And that's yeah, it. exactly, exactly. The, the the families with the kids have all gone because I think most of them have started or start school, and we've now got their grandparents who've come. Yeah, as you say, to hike. Mm. Um, so the main the main summer season has gone, and to be honest, the main summer season was very very good considering what's going on in the world. Yeah. Um, nobody can complain about what trade we had in the summer. Mm. Um, and yeah, we know it's gone. It's gone a lot quieter. And give it another one or two weeks, it'll be pretty much if all of the bars and restaurants will shut down for about six weeks. Uh, some of them for longer, and then we'll be basically preparing for the winter. Yes. Well, we'll get to that later. What's the winter going to look like? So I'd love to have a chat with you about that because you're very clued in on what Austrian winter is going to look like, especially in terms of like, you know, lift operations and things like that. So we'll have a chat about that that later on, but. For those of you that don't know you, you're a ski instructor. Um, you're originally from the UK, but you've been in Austria for, what, a decade now? And uh, eight years. Eight, eight years. years. Okay, it's almost a decade. And and you run your own operation called Snow Camps Europe, which we'll get yep. to later on. Um, but for now, like, how did you... What's your sort of story? How did you end up in, in Austria? How did you end yeah. up in Caprun? So the, the ending up in Austria, the ending up in Caprun, um, I, I was actually in Austria back in 1988. Um, uh, I worked, I, I basically, worked, I worked for a company called Schools Abroad. Um, I was sent over as a ski tech okay. um, to a place in Upper Austria. Um, and I lived in a village called Windischgarsten and our ski area was the Wurzel. And... I went basically on behalf of schools abroad but to work for the ski school looking after their rental yeah. um, as a ski tech. And at that time, I think I had my dry slope club instructor, which was like the lowest dry slope kind of um, qualification. Mm. And I, I was lucky enough through the unfortunate incident of um, – one of the other teachers, Stefan, he fell over on New Year's Eve. They were all skiing down the mountain, a little bit inebriated, and uh, he had an external fibula break. Ooh, so how... he was basically out, out for a long, long time. Yeah. And I was up the mountain sorting out bindings on skis, and the, the ski school director, Michael, Michael Hengel, came over to me, and he gave me a jacket. He went, take Stefan's group and don't make a mess of it. 
Um, so I was like, okay, um, brilliant. And uh, yeah, that, that was kind of it. My, my dream was to be a ski teacher. That's what was my aim was. Yeah. Uh, and doing the season as a ski tent was supposed to help me get there. And um, from, from that day, I basically worked every week for the ski school as a teacher. I did the ski hire in the morning and the evening. Um, and that was my first season. Um, and then I did, I did a couple more kind of, I did peak weeks for a few years. I came over at Christmas, New Year, mm. half term and, and, and Easter. And then like a lot of people, I fell out of uh, the industry, let's say. Um, and I, back in the UK, I had different jobs. I was working in bars and restaurants. I worked for Ellis Brigham's for a couple of years. Okay. And I was supposed to uh, go to Scotland to work. I was going to work in Glen Shee for Gustav Fischnailer. Who I believe is now back in the Innsbruck area of Austria. Okay. And I was supposed to work for him. And it was a year, it must have been something like 89 or 90, and it just did not snow in Scotland. There was no snow at all. Um, so we just didn't get calls that we were needed. Like we had jobs yeah. once it snowed, and it just didn't snow. So because of that, I kind of fell out a little bit more. And cut a long story short, I started to conform to... Um, society and I got a job and I bought a house and I got a bigger job and I bought a bigger house and I got a car and I bought a bigger car and blah 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 yeah and then in 2009 I was fortunate to get made redundant from the job I was doing which was in the drinks industry and I'd, I'd managed to climb the slippery pole quite high within the alcohol business yeah um but I got made redundant and um it was when the banks all went belly up I think it was the Icelandic banks wasn't it in yeah 2009. yeah and that that sent me in a totally different direction, which was car body repair and alloy wheel repair. Okay. And it was four years after that, I was sat in somebody's drive, and I think I was in somewhere like Marlow or Henley, and I was trying to paint a bumper corner on a car in the freezing cold. My airline kept freezing. I had an infrared lamp on my compressor to try and keep the moisture from freezing. Yeah. It was snowing. And I, I kind of was kneeling on the ground and went, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Four years ago, you got made redundant. Now, when I say got made redundant, people don't think I got a, a fist load of cash. I didn't. Yeah. I'd only been there 18 months. So I got statutory, basically, which was nothing. Mm. And uh, I was like, Four years ago, you should have just packed up and gone skiing. Mm. And I literally went home that day, put my house on the market, put the business on the market. Um, and this was about February. Yeah. Um, I came over to Caprun in the March because I wanted to meet some guys from the SIA, the Ski Instructor Academy, because I'd seen their website. Mm. And at the time, their website, it was, it was a good website, but I, wanted, I wasn't convinced. Um, so I came over to meet the guys, and I spent a week with them. And I was like, right, I'll be back in November. I'm going to requalify, do my inverter, which is year level one. Mm. And uh, they, 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 like all of these gap year courses, they give you a job guarantee, or most of them give you a job guarantee. Yeah. And um, they literally said, where do you want to work? And I went, well, I'll work in Caprun. And there was no real reason at the time why I said I would work in Caprun. I just said, oh, I'll work in Caprun. And they got me a job in Caprun. So that is kind of how I ended up back here in 2012. Um, that's a, it, I think from that perspective, it, it might have been a good, that little tangent that you went on from 2008 to 2012 might not have been necessarily a bad thing. My, my first season was out here in Morjan was 2009, I think, 2009, 2010. 
and there wasn't very much work around at all. Mm. You know, because of the the economic situation at the time, it was a very very, and it was a poor snow season in Switzerland that year as well. So yeah. There was no snow and no clients. It was a really really tough year, and there was a lot of. I distinctly remember that first year in the ski school when I went there. Um, I remember it being a really difficult year, and that there were lots of kind of people in the office, sort of, you know, trying to, uh, what? How would you say? Like you know, sort of hanging around the office, trying to be picked for for, for any work that came in. Yeah, um, yeah. And it was a yeah, it was a very very light season, and and t- you know tensions were were high within within that ski school that year and I think probably the ski school itself was in a bit of difficulty as well because um, they kind of expanded into that market and, and you know no one came um, it was it was tricky and, and I think that draws a lot of parallels with what this year might be like it might be a tense season yeah. for a lot of people I think um, you know if the clients don't come um, I was actually I was listening to a podcast the other day on Joe Rogan with a guy called Peter Schiff. Now, Peter Schiff is like a, uh, is quite an outspoken sort of financial analyst guy, and and I don't really like him. He's a bit of a gold bug, but he, he kind of sometimes every now and then, out of all the stuff that he says, you can pull out like a little nugget here and there. And he says that that this current situation is the thing that I've been thinking about a lot today when I've been out on the bike, is that the. the he says that COVID is kind of the the pin that pricked the sort of economic bubble that we were in prior to mm-hmm. COVID. And actually, where we are right now might be actual normal, uh, as opposed to where the you know where we were before with like bubble. You know, people were enjoying like low interest rates, living off debt, and people had no savings, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I try to keep one eye on these kind of things just because it affects our clients, and you kind of got to know what their their living situation is is like. And yeah, um, yeah I wonder actually if we, if we've we've been enjoying like a sort of false reality for for some sort of you know period of time. It'll be interesting to see how this season shakes down um, mm-hmm. this year. Okay. But one of the reasons that I'm I'm extremely interested to have this chat with you. Sorry for my sorry for depressing everybody with that chat. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, the one of the reasons that I was super interested to have this chat with you is because you're not you're, this this podcast can sometimes be a little bit sort of Bayesian centric. You know, we 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 I've been trying this summer desperately to interview people from all over Europe and not necessarily British people. Um, uh, or Europe and Canada, US, like that. That's been my sort of goal is to kind of spread the wings a little bit, and and I'm particularly interested to have a chat with you because you're not qualified through the British system. You know, you are British, you live in Austria, but you're you're qualified through the Austrian system. Is that that that's right to say, right? Yeah, that is. Yeah, um, that is is correct. Yeah. So what I did is I, when I was young, I did I, I went into Basie when it was three, two, one. Mm. Um, and part of the thing of going to work for Gustav was, um, if I remember right, that if I'd gone and worked for him, he would have put me through my two as part of working for him. So it was going to pretty much cost me nothing. Yeah. Um, and that again, because it didn't so in Scotland, that never happened. So everything that I had, whether it be from the English ski council at the time with the artificial slope stuff, mm. all that Bayesian level three, it all, it all lapsed. And when I came back and I spoke to um, the guys at the SIA here in Caprun, they, um, 
they kind of said, at the end of the day, if you want to work in Austria, you're going to be better with an Austrian qualification. Now, this was long before Brexit, obviously. Um, And I kind of, it made total sense to me. You know, it made total sense. If I want to work in Austria, get the qualification of the country. Yeah, well, that's that's why I switched into the Swiss system, right? The same same reason. You know, if you're here and you're making a long-term lifestyle, you know, life out here, why would you... Why would you be compromised in that way? Yeah, uh, and, and for what, I, what I understood at the time, and it, this isn't this, this isn't necessarily true, but what I was led to understand at the time is, even if I went and did my Bayesi one and two, mm. um, or even my Bayesi three, some of the ski school owners don't recognise it, so they'll still only pay you the lowest level pay as uh, an Austrian inverter. Uh-huh, right. um, now, as I say, that that isn't strictly true anymore. Um, I think it used to be back in the day where some Austrian ski school owners would say, if you're not Austrian qualified, you're not qualified, mm. you know. Um, but the, the, uh, more and more of them are kind of disappearing, let's say. Yeah. Um, and a younger generation are taking over, a little bit more open to it. Mm. But, yeah, I, that, that's why I did it. And I, one, one of my things when people say, I want to become a ski teacher, I now say to them, where do you want to work? Yeah. Because if you want to work in Canada, go and get Canadian qualified. If you want to work in... Um, obviously um, uh, France get French qualified yeah. if you want to work in Romania get Romanian qualified you know mm. um, don't go and do uh, I use Bayesi as, as an example don't do Bayesi if you want to work in Austria mm. um, you know um, and I, I was glad of the advice I got because it it saves me a lot of money <laughs> I'll say that <laughs> saved me a lot of money um, because at the time I would have quite easily just gone back to Bayesi and gone right let's go yeah, um, and it would have cost me a fortune. Mm. Yeah, it's, you know? it's not cheap to go all the way through the system, is it? No. Um, I, well, how, how much exactly would it cost to go through the whole Bayesi system? Roughly? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I don't know because there's like ten modules, isn't there, in level three? I'm only doing approximations, right? There's ten modules in level three, or there was. Let's say each of those is five hundred quid. It's five grand right there, mm. not including training, Eurotest training, probably another five grand to get at least to get through level four. You know, you've got a bunch of, I don't know, I'd say it would be close to 15,000, wouldn't it? After you factor in like training, lifts, hotels, hotels accommodation, food. accommodation, you know, all that sort of stuff, I think. That's assuming that you get everything first time. Yeah. See, I would have thought even more. The, 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 the good thing about the Austrian system, yeah. Um, is your level four? You don't pay for it. Oh really? No, it's it's government funded. Really? Yeah. You you don't pay for the course. You pay for your accommodation. You obviously you it, the the guy the guys who have done it say it costs them around eight to ten thousand. Mm. But that's because of accommodation, travel, time off work, additional kit that's required, mm. um, loss of earnings, etc. But yeah. the actual the actual course itself is government funded. Oh wow! Didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let let's let's jump you back a bit. So your journey then. So you went to Capron, or you went to the SIA Ski Instructor Academy, and you yeah, did your Anverter with them. So Anverter is for those of us that don't know, and I'm one of them. Anverter is the entry level qualification. That you yeah, need so to it's, get it's, into it's your level one. And Anverter roughly translates into contender. 
Oh, right. So you are a contender to become a ski teacher. Oh, I like that. Or a snow, a snow sports teacher. Okay. So it's a level one, which yeah. is the equivalent of a Basie two, because it allows you to work in an on-mountain environment. Okay. Um, you, I, I did a four-week prep course. So I did four weeks of training. Now, I probably didn't need to do that. However, I wanted to do it because I wanted to have a bit of a good time. Yeah. Um, and also, as part of that course, there was a lot of German. And my German at the time wasn't great. Yeah. Um, and they kind of make sure you know the German you need to, to know for the exam. Yeah. Whether you then take your German any further or not is entirely up to you. So I did the four-week prep course. And then you go on to the Anverter exam, which is a 10-day course. Oh, wow. Um, where you eight, eight of those days is more training. Yeah. Um, and then you have a two-day exam. And that exam, um, part of it is like ski school skiing, part of it is performance. You'll do, your, you'll do a lesson, you'll do a teach, uh, and then you have a theory. Um, now, depending on the different uh, ski instructor associations, depends on how that theory is structured. So I did it with Snow Sports Academy, which is the Vienna Verband, Mm. So the Vienna Association, and theirs is um, uh, a written exam, question, answer. Uh, someone like Salzburger, they do a multiple choice or All multiple right. guess, as I like to call it. <laughs> it would be if it was in German, wouldn't it? Because <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, you've got a one in four chance of getting it right, haven't you? Um, sit next to a Dutch person who can read the questions and you're away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's, that's your level one, and that enables you to teach on, on, on snow. And the Austrian ski schools will employ, uh, I would have said that our ski school probably had about 60 or 70% of the teachers were inverters. Okay. Uh, and uh, once you've done that, uh, we have, there's, four, there's four levels. So you go into your level two, which is uh, Landis one. Now, the Landis one, is a, it's, it's like a bridging qualification between the inverter and level three, which is your... Or, or was your ISAA level, so you would get your stamp. What does um, Landers although, mean? Uh, uh, t uh, land, teacher of the land, basically. Right. Okay. Um, so you do your Landers 1, and your Landers 1, is, uh, when I did it, there was no teaching exam element. It was more about, it, it, it basically gets your skiing to the level to pass your level 3. Oh, okay. So it's like a Sorry, what was that? It's like a prep course kind of thing. Yeah, almost, yeah. It, it's basically to ramp up your, your off-piece, your bumps, um, rhythm changes, just getting you skiing to a much higher level. And it's, it's, it's eight days of being pushed and pushed and pushed, mm. um, in, depending on when you do it, beginning or end of the season. They'll find you the worst terrain with the worst snow, you know? <laughs> um, you'll, you'll do rut line after rut line after rut line until your legs don't work anymore. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then you'll have your exam again is based. You've got some ski school skiing in there. You've got some performance and you have a GS race. Um, and the GS race is about technique, not time. OK. So you'll do you'll do a GS, yeah. um, which is kind of starting to prep you for your level three. Yeah. And inevitably your level four, if you go that far. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you pass that, then you can go on to what would be a Basie level three kind of equivalent, which is an, an ISAA level. Um, and again, that's another 10 day. -er. What's that? Um, is that called the Landers two then? Or 
Have I missed uh, it? It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the course is Landis Two because yeah. it's the second part of Landis. Yeah. But we we just call it it's, it's the Landis Lira. So it's it's the land ski teacher exam. Now, once you've passed your Landis Lira, yeah. you are a qualified ski instructor. Mm. So up until that point, you're not a ski instructor in the eyes of the Austrians. Wow. Even when you've done your Landis One, your license is still an Anverter license. Do you get when you complete the level three, uh, Landis Two, Landis Lira? Do you mm-hmm. do you get the ISAE stamp at that level? You do. However, Austria is no longer in the ISAA, okay. so, so you, would you have don't. Done. Okay. But it is it is that level, and it is seen as that level. So I I could go I could go to the states with it and yeah. say I'm an ISAA because I am. I just don't have a stamp because we're not a member uh, uh, a nation a member nation. Yeah, a member nation. Yeah. What's in? Yeah. What, so sorry. So I, I jumped all over you. What What's in the Landeslera exam then? Okay. So. Um, you uh, you do a GS, you do a timed GS. Okay. Um, so like a like almost a mini Euro test. But not the um, Euro test. No, it's not the Euro test, um, but it's it's very similar. So you will have um, normally I think it's a fist a fist racer yeah. will do the the time for you. So they'll do a, a first run, uh, they'll close the first run, then they'll close the second run. Mm. So they take an average of the three. Okay. Um, so you have to pass that on time. You don't have your ski school skiing, which when I did it, I think it's still the same at that level. You have uh, basically what a plow parallel. So you have to do a demonstration of plow parallel, mm-hmm. uh, and then a demonstration of long turns. Oh wow! Um, and then your um, your Eigerkern and your performance skiing is dynamic longs, dynamic shorts. Mm-hmm. You'll have a rhythm change, which will be full gas dynamic longs into full gas dynamic shorts. Oh, now that's interesting because that's in the Swiss too. Yeah, Not they, la- they, the other they love a rhythm change. They love a rhythm change. It's cool though, isn't it? Like it's a real test, that. Oh, I, I like it because I'm good at it. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. where, where I don't like the GS because I'm not good at it. But yeah. uh, no, I, love a, I love a rhythm change. Oh, wow. Um, and then you've got you've got uh, bumps, so you've got a mogul run, an open mogul run, mm-hmm. um, and then you've got an off-piste uh, free run. So basically, give as much as you can give mm. um, down down the variable. Um, and again, depending on when, what time of year you do it, you could be lucky enough to be in powder, or you could be in the heaviest crud. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But it's it's like go for it. If and again, if you go for it on that and you stick in a rhythm change, your points go through the roof. <laughs> Um, okay. If you pop a little jump yeah. and manage to survive, your pumps, your points go through the roof. Oh, that's um, cool. And then you'll have your, you'll have your theory exam. Yeah. Now it's interesting because at that level with the bean of a band, your theory is verbal. Mm. Oh. Um, and it's in German. Oh wow! So you basically do you sit in pairs, which mm. takes a little bit of the heat off you, and you will do you'll get. You'll basically do different stations. So you'll move around a room. You'll spend about 15 or 20 minutes with each examiner. Mm. And one will be on uh, the methodic progression of the Austrian system. Okay. Um, so they'll, say, take us through the methodic progression for um, dynamic short terms. Mm. So that's the progression that they say, the steps you take to teaching that 
movement pattern, let's say. Uh, then you'll move on to one which is, uh, it's the analysis of somebody's skin. So they'll show you a video. Yeah. And you would have to say what they, what you see, so what they, what they are doing wrong and how you would look at correcting that. Um, and you would basically talk them through, well, I would start with the feet. I would look at what the feet are doing, then I'd work my way up. And yeah. It, depending on what the, the failure was. So if the failure was they were leaning back, you would explain how you would try and get them into the middle of the ski, whether that be using kind of exercises or, or, or um, talking to them and explaining stuff and whatever. Uh, and then you, you've got another one of them is avalanche. So you get asked a load of questions on your avalanche stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, first aid. Now, we don't actually do first aid courses in the Austrian system. You, at Landis level, you have a talk about first aid, oh, wow. and then you'll get asked several questions. Yeah. Um, and the question could be, what do you do if someone's had a heart attack? What yeah. do you do? What, what number do you call to get a helicopter? Things like that. So it's not it's not in depth first aid. Yeah. Um, and then you have a language test, obviously. Mm-hmm. So for for me, the language test would have been in German. Mm-hmm. For for an Austrian, they would have had to speak English. Okay. Um, and you have a little chat to them for your second language. Mm. And then I'm trying to think what the other ones are. I think there's, uh, oh, equipment. We do, there's an equipment one as well. So they'll ask you questions about ski servicing, about equipment, about boots. How can you modify a boot? Um, what are like seven steps to servicing a ski? Things like that. So equipment knowledge and servicing knowledge and stuff wow. like that. That's quite thorough. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's quite in-depth. It's um, basically at that level, once you get to the Landeslera level, it is governed by the government. Okay. So there is a government official who will be there on the two days of the exams watching what happens, and then he will be in the room of the night of the theory sitting at random tables. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So if you pass that, Mm. you become a ski instructor. However, you've not yet got the level to get your ISAA stamp. So So presumably there's some sort of level that sits over the top of all of this. Well, what you've got is once you've done your Landis 1 mm. or and, and Landis 2, so at Landis 1 level, you can then also go on the Alpine course, which is your avalanche course. Yeah. Um, which is a one-week, it's a seven-day course. So, And on that course, you do snow profiles, risk assessment, guiding, yeah. um, search and rescue, et cetera, et cetera, map reading, navigation. And you can do that once you've got your level, your, your Landis 1, or you can wait till you've done your Landis 2. Yeah. Once you've done your Landis 2 exam for your skiing, then you've got your Alpine course. You mm. then need your second discipline. Now, okay. nearly everybody goes for snowboarding because I'm going to annoy the snowboarders with this. It's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So... Um, <laughs> It's the old it's the old joke about what's the difference between a snowboarder and a snowboard teacher about five days. I had been on a snow. I'm just get, I'm Sorry. already getting dogs abuse for having no snowboarders on here, and now now you're making it worse. <laughs> oh. oh well, never mind. <laughs> um, I did. So, I did have the intro. I, I told you, didn't I? In the, the recent thing that we did, that something like I don't know what. I don't know what it is about snowboarding, but there isn't the culture of of 
of like going on and and sort of taking continued series of lessons to get better and better it just doesn't yeah. exist like the Swiss yeah. sports stats that they brought out a couple of years ago said that like 95% of all lessons taken were ski yeah. you know yeah. I think the, my, my general reading of what it looks like on the beginner slope is that you know once they can turn left and right snowboarders they just go off and work it out themselves yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. And I, I, you don't see that many advanced snowboarding lessons going on here either, to be honest. No. You'll see a few, but, but not a great deal. I wonder why that um, is. I don't really understand why that... Is it a sort of counterculture thing, I wonder? You know, it's not cool or whatever. I'm not sure. Uh, I just think... I, I, I just... I don't know. Uh, I, think, I think skiers who want to progress and progress and progress want to... They want to perfect their skiing. They want to become really good technical skiers mm. where a snowboard i'm not saying they don't want to progress they don't want to become technically good but it, it's 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 just like a more chilled relaxed kind of way isn't it you know um i'm sure there are te- very technically minded snowboarders out there that want to become better and better and better and better and better mm. i actually know a, a, an english family who who the father and the daughter they, they'll take snowboard lessons every time they come out yeah um but i think just the average tourist snowboarder, as you say, once I can get around the mountain, I can get around the mountain. I don't need any more than that, you know? Mm. And, and to be fair, to be fair, there are skiers like that. Once they can do a parallel turn, they're off. Um, they pick up a load of bad habits and end up coming back at some point. But there yeah. are tourists that think once I can do a parallel turn down the road, I'm, I'm done, you know? It, it does seem to be that there is a greater volume of people come back for repeat sort of... Uh, what do you call it? Perfection. It's not an English word. Perfection, what, like, you know, making your technique better. Um, yeah. It, it does seem to be more of a culture of that within skiing than snowboarding. I, maybe I'm completely wrong. I've, I've reached out to a couple of um, couple of snowboard people to kind of maybe come on and have that chat and see, because it would be interesting to know. Um, so, yeah, let's see. I must follow that up. Uh, with one of them anyway so right yeah so second discipline uh, the equivalent of like an off-piste uh, mounted security and, and yeah. what's the kind of the final pieces of the jigsaw in the the big the, the level what would you call it level four yeah level four so so those three pieces are for your level three then you've got your isaa stamp or you yeah. would have and then you you basically then you go on to a pre-examination so you have to do an entrance exam to get onto the level four which is the statlick uh, and Statlik is st- a state teacher. You become a teacher of the state. Um, okay. And the the pre-exam for that is held in Hinterreich, uh, not far from Caprun, and it's literally a one-lift mountain. Yeah. Um, which the World Cup team use, so it's injected, uh, <laughs> and it's where they they um, they do the Euro test. They do the Euro test in uh, the Alberg. And they also do the Euro test in Hinterreich, which is just near Maria Alm, which right. is just as you're driving into Maria Alm. Um, so it's rock hard ice. You mm. go down there. It's normally end of January. And the entrance exam is the first thing you do is you do a mini Euro test. Right. So the, the, the openers are the examiners yeah. or three or four of the examiners. And then they'll get their, their time from that. And then you, you race. Um, if you pass it on the first run, uh, they tell you you can relax. Yeah. Um, if not, you do a second run, and they'll reset the course alongside where the course was already. Okay. Um, 
and you do your second run and hopefully you pass or if you don't you don't that if you don't pass you're on your way home that's it you don't even get to try the other the other elements really yeah it's it's basically if you're not going to pass if we don't think you've got a chance of passing a euro test Mm. you you're not going any further but it would be fair to say that anyone who has got to that level probably has a racing background given that they're all Um, Austrian grew up in the mountains yeah, especially if they're an Austrian or a German, let's say. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Dutch lads and a lot of the English lads, we we all we all um, what's the word I'm looking for? We we all suffer with it, you know. Yeah. I, 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 well, said I, I I had a few friends on it when I did it, and they they passed they passed on their first run. Mm. Uh, they weren't they weren't racers. They're just very good skiers. Yeah. Um, but most of the Austrians who were going down, they were getting times not dissimilar to the openers, okay. you know, because they've all grown up racing. They've been in the village race club. Yeah. They've skied at a certain level, competed at a certain level yeah. on snow most of their life. Um, and they almost do it on one ski with their boots open going backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, um, where we're like rubbing a lot fast. The last final bit of wax in the, uh, in the start on your ski, hoping it's going to help, you know. <laughs> Um, so if, if you do pass then you have your lunch and then in the afternoon what they do is they do um, a ski school skiing test and that's normally plough turns and plough parallel no it's plough parallel into long turns so it's almost like a, a ski school rhythm change okay interesting so you do plough parallels four or five plough parallels and they're going to go straight into long turns um, and it's actually funny because at that stage, some of the guys who smashed the race yeah. are out because <laughs> they can't ski like ski teachers. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you'll do a, you'll do a rhythm change, of course, because they like a rhythm change. So you do dynamic longs into dynamic shorts, mm-hmm. and then that will be the end of the first day. Then on the second day, you go over to Maria Alm and you do an off-piece run. So again, full gas, show them what you've got. Yeah. Um, absolutely smash your way down. Again, if you stick in a rhythm change or you stick in a bit of a trick or a jump or whatever, you'll, you'll get more points. Mm. Um, and then you'll do a bumps run. Okay. Um, and depending on the conditions, whether that's an open field or it's a rut line, all depends. Yeah. And at the end of that, you'll basically get told you're on the course, see you in November, or you're not on the course. Wow. Um, uh, if you are on the course, then, as I say, you start in November. It's, uh, I worked out the number of days. It's, it's 60 days. What? 60 days. <laughs> 60 days of what? <laughs> so you have, you have different semesters, and they're all, the, the way they structure it is you, you, do, you do the course around the peak See the peak weeks. Yeah. So you can go and work for your ski school Christmas, New Year. You can go work February half term. You can go and work Easter because obviously taking 60 or 80 of your best teachers out for yeah. the whole season yeah, yeah. would be a bit of a pain. So you, you start with semester one um, and you have a, a nine day section followed by, and I believe that's on snow. And then you do a second nine day section, which is theory. Yeah. Uh, then you go up to St. Christophe in Alberg and you do another nine days of skiing. <laughs> then you go back to your ski schools and you work. And in January, then, then you go off and you do a, a six-day Alpine course, mm-hmm. so Euro Security. 
Um, and then that's the end of the first semester, let's say. Then you go back for the second semester in February after the half term. Yeah. Nine, nine days. Then you have a bit of a break and you go back for another eight days. Yeah. Then you have a break until um, before or after Easter and you do another six days. Uh, and then your final exam is mid, mid, or this year is mid-April, and it's a four-day exam. Um, wow. And from what I believe, uh, from what I believe, the exam is obviously you've got your Euro test, yeah, um, which they do in the Alberg, um, and you're allowed three goes at the Euro test, yeah, for free. Okay. So if you were to fail it three times, you'd have to pay for your fourth entry. Yeah, yeah, okay. But, but the course, the course gives you three goes. Um, uh, so you got Euro test. I think that ski school element. I think they make you do everything. So you have to do plow, plow parallel, um, basic short, basic long, and then dynamic shorts and longs. Yeah. For sure, there'll be a rhythm change in there because <laughs> they love a rhythm change. Um, and there'll be a, there'll be a teaching exam. Yeah, and uh, you'll have a theory. You'll have a big. And I, again, I think the theory, some of it, if not all of it, is verbal. I yeah. think. Um, don't hundred percent know if I'm right on that. I'm sure someone will let us know. Mm. Um, and yeah, sixty days, and then hopefully by the end of it, you, you, you're qualified. So um, people do that over the course of one season. It yeah. sounds like so you set a season aside. You do some part. You do peak week teaching, but essentially yeah. that season is put aside to become statlik. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And then once you've got that, <laughs> it goes on. Um, you then are invited to become a shifura. Oh, which is a, is a ski guide. Oh, okay. So it's not a mountain guide; it's a ski guide, mm. and they have a they have a ski and a snowboard equivalent. And you're invited to go to the entrance exam, mm. and the entrance exam is the following uh, October in Hintertux. Mm. And you basically do a load of different tests, and one of them is a it's like an endurance thing. They go right; you've got to get up there, you've got to skin up there in this much time. Oh really? Uh, that's where they they kind of they thin the field. So if you haven't passed that, then you're out. Yeah, they um, get and, me for and, sure on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you have passed it, then you carry on with the other bits of the test. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know a great deal about that test, to yeah. be honest. And then if you do pass, it's um, what's this? Eight and eight is sixteen. Yeah. So about a twenty-four, twenty. 25 day course with a seven day exam wow and that's kind of crevasse rescue repelling rope yeah. work ice 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 axes um uh, more obviously guiding navigation etc 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 it's pretty yeah. full-on you spend you spend two two of the two of two of the parts of the course are eight days where you stay in a hut you stay up on the mountain for eight days, twice. Is that what Tony um, did recently? Is that what he was doing? It is. It is. Yeah, he was. He was basically. He would have finished it at the end of this season mm. if we hadn't have been shut down. So he's got. I think he's got his last. He might only have, just have to have the uh, the exam to do. Mm. Yeah, but so, yeah, he did. And a, he, he is the person yeah. to talk to about that course. Okay, I'll get him one day. Um, but the yeah. So hi, Toby, if you're listening. 
um, and good luck with your exam because uh, we've seen all the rope work and stuff. Oh my god, that he's posting like it's unbelievable. Oh, he's, been, he's been tying ropes around his house and strapping his kid upon the staircase yeah. and all sorts. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, fair play to him. Okay, wow, so that's pretty so, extensive. Yeah, that's um, the Austrian ski system, but I, I suppose <laughs> in, a, in a nutshell, yeah, but I suppose it has to be if skiing is your national sport, right? <laughs> exactly. It's your national sport, and it's one of the biggest contributors to your GDP. Yeah. So, it, we, you know, I suppose the level... And, and we, we, this then sort of ties back to this, this concept that I've been talking about with many, many of our guests, is that the, the, there is a, a sort of cultural difference, big cultural difference between, say, the British mindset or whatever and your average kind of uh, Austrian, French, Swiss... Italian village in the in the Alpine where you you grow up living skiing it's what you do for sport it's like joining the scouts you're part of the ski club and so you know how to race and all of this stuff that that say sometimes the British find so hard is not necessarily hard to them because it's what they know, right? You've been slapping gates and 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 running GS courses since you were you were six years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, I've, I've got friends who, who are Austrian, who are young Austrians, who mm. have done just that, and they've gone to, they've gone onto the Shatlik and they failed the ski school skiing at the final exam. Mm. You know, uh, because they just can't, they, well, they, they can, but they, they can't do it to the level needed for that exam. They can't ski slowly. Can't ski. They can't ski like a ski instructor. They can't show movement patterns. Mm. Now, they eventually do pass it because they work on it. Yeah. But they find, they find it difficult, you know? Yeah, because I guess all they've done, right, is, is run, run hard, icy courses, carving their skis forever. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I would say, yeah. about the Austrian system, and the Austrian system, as we've just learned, is very robust. <laughs> and as we've just said, yes, if you are a skiing nation and it's the, it's a big, big, big earner for the country, mm. what I would say is that from my, from what I see, there is a big um, gap within it, and that is the amount of time that is spent teaching ski teachers how to teach skiing. Okay. Tell me, expand on what you mean by that. Well, in none of, even though in the exams you'll have a teaching exam where you will teach your peers um, whatever you're asked to teach, there isn't a great deal of let's sit down and talk about how you teach somebody. Let's sit down and talk about how you find out information from people. There's there's nothing about let's, how do we identify someone's learning? Um, habits Um, how do we get inside someone's head to get information from them um, to enable us to coach them in a better way Mm. uh, with the information that we've gained there's none of that it's literally what's your examiner do the teach now you do the teach well I'm not going to teach the same way as you and you're not going to teach the same way as me Mm. Um, and I think that a lot of anverters will do their exam and on, on day one of their season, which is like the Saturday before Christmas mm. uh, or the Sunday, they'll get given a group. Yeah. And it's like, right, I've got, I've got eight, eight, nine, ten people stood in front of me. All yeah. I know is their name. And now I've got to teach them to ski. Yeah. You know, 
I don't know how to get information from them. Um, a lot of them will revert to, how does it feel? Well, yeah. if the person isn't kinesthetic, it doesn't feel of anything, mm. you know? And they're, they're not able to identify how the person's going to learn, how they're going to respond to whether it be a demonstration or an explanation or, or whatever it be, you know? And I think that potentially is one thing that's lacking in the Austrian system because I've got friends who've done a Canadian system mm. and there is so much of that in that, in that system. And when it gets to your level four and you do your teaching... Mm. It's it's not so much about are you the best skier. It's about it's about are you a good are you a good teacher? Are you good are you a good communicator? Are you good at getting information from people? Are you good at putting it all over in a way that they can explain? Mm. And I think that that also is the difference between some extremely good ski teachers and some great skiers who just can't teach very well. hope you're enjoying this episode um andy is a really really funny guy and i think that comes across well in the interview um, and i i really enjoyed this chat that i that i had with him i know that i say that about all the guests but it, it, i just find these things um fascinating you know talking to people from all over europe and and the world um about skiing and about how they go about their life and, and their business um in the second half of this, uh, we, we talk a little bit more about uh, Austrian skiing and Austrian technique and what that looks like and, and how that's evolving. Uh, we talk more about Andy's business, uh, Snow, Snow Camps Europe, and uh, we talk about, we, we sort of do, this was this this was um, recorded actually in the start of September. So a lot of the measures that Andy talks about in terms of COVID and, and um, Austrian skiing this winter are still valid. Um, and in fact, they've proved to be quite a decent prediction as to how things are going to go this winter. And, and I thought the thing about speeding up the lifts was, was particularly interesting. Um, there's some more animal chat uh, later on, um, which you'll be pleased to know, and some other chat about Austrians and long skis and skiing in the 80s. So uh, so you, hopefully you'll enjoy the second half of this chat. Um, just a quick shout out to Susan Schaefer uh, in the US. Thank you very much for getting in touch and the lovely, lovely email that you wrote to me. I really, really appreciate people who get in touch. Um, it's lovely to, to hear all of the different kind of people that are listening. So enjoy the second half. Um, the next interview that we have coming up uh, in fact, I'm all over the place lately with interviews. I've got um, two or three lined up, Scottish perspectives, Italian perspectives, um, French perspectives. Um, but the next one that I think I have in the bag, which needs to be edited, is um, with Richard Featherstone from um, Snowbility in the UK. And he, he skis with... Um, with uh, children and adults that have special needs uh, indoors uh, in one of the snow domes. So um, I'll get that edited up when I get a minute and, uh, and that one will be out as well before, uh, before we all start skiing in earnest. Um, hope you're all well and uh, I will catch you again on episode 28. I just want to take you back to a bit in your story, but what was it? It must have been great fun to be a ski teacher in 1988 in Austria. <laughs> I, yeah, we've all seen, you know, Blizzard of Oz and, and stuff like that. You know, skis were long. 
you know the fashions yeah. were great you know you've seen some of these movies of the Austrian skiers in the 90s I think Toby put one up the other day some of the mogul skiers that the Austrians had in those days and yeah. it's just like it must have been great fun to be there then was it not? Uh, it was. It was absolutely awesome. And I was like, obviously, I was 18 years of age and I was living the dream that I'd had since the age of 11. Yeah. Um, there, there, were, there were elements of it that just cannot go on today um, no. because how society has changed. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was absolutely unreal. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, the day that Michael came out and gave me this red and white jacket with Austrian ski school on the back, I was like, <laughs> all of my Christmases have come at once, you know, yeah. because at that time, at that time, a, a, a ski teacher jacket was a license to do pretty much whatever you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and most people did. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was great fun. We, we predominantly um, were teaching, um, I would say, teenagers. There was there was two sides to the ski school. There was um, English school holidays and then there was the normal, the normal, the normal um, business of kind of tourists and adults and we worked predominantly on the school kids mm. um but it, yeah it, it was fantastic and um yeah i i can remember i have so many memories about that time and it's funny because i was actually only a couple of nights ago i was with um one of the ski teachers from the ski school that i worked for uh who works there now talking about how it was back then and how it is now mm. and uh she is, she's probably mid 30. She's been working there eight years. So she's been working at my old ski school as long as I've been working in Caprun. Yeah. Um, and just swapping stories of how it was then to how it is now. It's very, it is very, very different. Yeah. But back then it was just, yeah, it was ski teachers at that time, ski teachers were seen almost as heroes. Yeah. You know, um, people would worship ski teachers. Mm. We're now, to be fair, we're treated like bin men. And now there's nothing wrong with bin men. But we, we are treated like you're, you're, you're not really anything. You just teach tourists to ski, mm. you know, um, and you like to party a lot. And to be fair, I do like to party a lot. And I have my hands up, <laughs> hold my hands up. I organize parties for the ski teachers. Um, <laughs> that's how much I like to party. But back then, you, you were if you didn't party, there was something wrong. Yeah. You know? But you were, you were so much more respected back then than, than now. What changed? I don't know. I left for a few years. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if it was because as things opened up and more ski teachers from other countries came in, um, and I'm only speaking from an Austrian perspective. Like and obviously, we, we have. You, you'll be surprised the number of actual Austrians employed within the ski schools I've worked for. Mm. Um, now, the one the one I work for now, we have we do have a fair few Austrians, but the one I worked for previously, I would say we had. Out of a team of 45, we had six Austrians. Oh, really? And the rest were um, predominantly Dutch, mm. English, and then we'd have some Eastern European guys. Mm. And I think what's happened is um, uh, the quality has gone down. Mm. The overall quality of ski teacher has gone down. And therefore, within the villages, you are, you are looked at as, well, you're just a ski teacher until you turn around and say, I've just finished my landis, and all of a sudden they go, "Oh, mm. you are a ski teacher, or you're more you're more serious than the others." And, yeah. and I I fully understand that the hotel owners, the bar owners, everybody in the village, they see eighty percent of the ski school teachers are new every year, yeah, because yeah. of this gap 
this gap kind of thing. Oh, so yeah. 80% of them turn up, they want to be treated well by bar owners and by everyone in the village, mm. and then they leave and they're never to be seen again. Yeah. And I think that the, the locals have kind of got into this attitude of, I'm not going to invest time getting to know you, treating you well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Not that they treat you badly, mm. because you're not going to be here in six months' time. Yeah, it's not worth you know, their investment of, into you, is it? Yeah, and one of the things I did when I got to Caprun, and this, it, it, I, I, I totally planned it, I went, the minute I got here, I went and said hello to all of the key decision makers, all of the bar owners, restaurant owners, people in the mountains, and said, hello, I'm Andy, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. I've just bought an apartment, and I'm staying, and I'm going to be around for a long, long time. Mm. And over over my first season, they realized what I was doing, and after my second season, third season, I, you know, like totally accepted mm. by the, the Burgermeister of Capron, the Mayor of Capron, knows who I am. He'll say hello to me in the street. He'll say, say hello to a lot of people in the street, mm. but he knows he knows that you're here for more than just a party and a bit of skiing, you know? Yeah, yeah, makes a difference. Um, did yeah, that change big, when, big when you when you started strutting around town with your your Landers uh, hang on, Landers Lira badge on? Did that change anything? I'm interested in that from a cultural um, Unfortunately, we don't get a badge, okay. which is really annoying because I, I do like a badge. Mm. Um, but what it what it is? It's not so much. Um, so I, an example is I was up at our restaurant uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we've got two guys who work in forestry who are up every day chopping down trees. Mm. And one of them said, Andy, you're a ski teacher, right? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, do you, do you have a British qualification? And I said, no, no, I've got Austrian qualification. And the guy said, well, are you, uh, you're an inverter. And I said, ah, I'm a Landeslehrer. And, and instantly he kind of sits up and goes, ah, cool. Mm. I was a Landeslehrer. So when he was younger, he was also a ski teacher, yeah. you know, which, which nearly everybody is in Austria when they're younger. And it's just this... Oh, you you must be an inverter then. Mm. Well, no, actually, I'm not. I've worked hard and yeah. I've put in my time, and I'm I'm qualified. And they, and they instantly do, they 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 do they react differently. Yeah, you know. Maybe you do need a little badge. We have a little badge that you can put on here that sort of signifies that you've got got to the top level. And you you would be surprised that the well, maybe you wouldn't be because it sounds like your experience is similar to mine. But if you haven't got one. You would be surprised at the difference in people's attitude towards you uh, when yeah, when you it, when you I wouldn't say strut around with that badge, but it's you know it's it's a big thing. It sits on your jacket. And it, it's funny. The, those who know know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and they and they'll 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 sort of look at you differently. But oh, okay, that guy, he did the thing. You know, like he's he's been there. Yeah, it's, uh... it, it, it's funny because um, at level four they they give you a badge, mm -hmm. and if you did your if you did your landis with Salzburger for band you get a badge, but the Wiener for band don't have a badge. Oh, okay. Uh, um, <clears throat> but uh, we have the um, Dave from Skivo in Courchevel. They come here every November. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you know Dave. No. Um, and them guys are all Baysy, and several of them wear their Baysy badge. Mm -hmm. Very proudly wear their Baysy badge. And it's funny because I've not seen one level four Austrian ski teacher wear his badge. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> and equal, equally, when you when you do your Fiora, your Ski Fiora, yeah. you also get a badge. 
And I think I've probably seen one in eight years, and it was a very old guy oh, who was probably very proud of he did it in leather boots yeah. 40 years ago, you know? Um, yeah. and, 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 and they should be proud. And I, I don't understand why they more of them don't wear their badge. Mm. Um, it's a strange one, because if I had a badge, I would wear it. I'd wear it everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Tell me, um, while we're still on the subject of, of tea, because I'm, I'm gonna, I want to pivot later and, and talk to you about snow camps and stuff. But tell me about Austrian technique. Um, you're, you know, we see a bit of it, and I see some extraordinary Austrian skiers, um, you know, on social media and stuff like that. Um, and you will have seen all of the stuff that's sort of come out of Interski recently what 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 does kind of modern austrian technique look like we all know that the swiss look a little bit different to everybody else and yeah all heard the yeah. kind of the basie robot thing but what what is the what if you could put your finger on a, a one or two things what what would it what would it be within austrian skiing okay so the the first thing is um well the first thing to think about is where, where is Austri where is austrian skiing coming from it's coming from the world cup Mm -hmm. So it's very race orientated. Well, does, um, that, does that mean that everyone skis like my favourite skier, Manny Feller? Because not necessarily. No. <laughs> it's funny when you speak to Toby about Manny Feller. He he's like, this guy's never going to win anything. He's got rubbish technique. And uh, I'm like, well, yeah, but he looks like a crazy man. Like he's he's the he's the guy that I tune in for these days. He used to be yeah, yeah, yeah. but now it's like Manny Feller. Where is Manny Feller? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, if, if you think it all comes from race pedigree, yeah. um, and and that that said, a lot of a lot of the guys over here um, will ski a GS ski, um, and they'll ski a GS ski whether they are teaching, whether they are free skiing, whether they're in the bumps, whether they're in the powder. Really? Um, oh, on exams and, and stuff. It, sorry. On exams and stuff like that. Oh yeah, everything. What, hang on, hang on, what do you, what do you mean by GS ski? Do you mean like a, you don't mean like a 30 metre big boy, you mean like a... Some, some of them will be on fully blown fist World Cup race skis, okay. flying down the moguls, yeah. as if they're on, as if they're on something your daddy did. Wow. Um, some of them will be on like a master's radius. Um, I was on, I've got a pair of Fisher RC4s, which I think were at a women's fist World Cup, and they were 23, I think. Oh, Andy. But, they, they, they ski, a, G, a lot of them will ski a GS ski anywhere and everywhere. Um, where some of the guys who are non-Austrian will be either on detuned GS or they'll be on piste carvers and dare I say it, some of them are even, some of them are even on slalom skis. I went through a phase a couple of years ago. I skied a 25 metre GS ski for about three seasons in a row because they're super easy to ski on slowly mm -hmm. you know like they're just it's just an easy ski you know they're, they're long and you can kind of just cruise right um yeah. but i could never find the space to really let them rip you know because you can go too fast there's people everywhere yeah um so i've sure, recently yeah. stepped down to uh here goes shameless plug for castley so i've stepped down to a, a, a 16 meter castley um what is it the rx rx12 um is right, yeah. my daily skier now is this well, just, like yeah Last year, I was given the choice, do you want another GS ski, and this yeah. was with Atomic, or do you want to try an X9? Yeah. And I'd actually been toying with the 
thought of going to a slightly shorter radius ski. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah, let's do it. I'll have, I'll have an X9. And I think it's 16 and a half, 17. Is that the red one like or the green one? The green one, yeah. It's nice ski, um, that. And I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. It's unreal. It's a great ski. And I get, I, I, I don't know if it's just because uh, it's in my head, but I get so much better grip on ice mm. with that ski than I ever did with the GS skis that I was skiing on from Atomic. <laughs> um, but I love it, and I love it in every everything. And again, I'll ski that ski, whether it be powder, crud, slush, um, to teach on, to free ski on, to everything, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so... Anyway, but the the Austrian skiing, yeah. So base World Cup model, mm. a lot of our on GS skis. We are seeing in the last kind of year uh, talk of bringing the feet slightly closer together again. All right, why? Because we went wide, we went wide stance. Yeah, and uh, we're now going uh, slightly narrower stance. Mm-hmm. Um, they brought out a thing, it's probably two winters ago now, which was carving is out, sliding is in. Okay, good. Um, they wanted they wanted to bring back an emphasis of skidding the turn, mm-hmm. uh, especially when teaching skiing. Yeah. Because so many people were going from, let's say, a plow parallel into a carved turn. Mm. Um and even though it's quite easy to carve a turn, stick the skis on the edge and around we go, yeah. um, people were picking up a great deal of speed and we were seeing a lot of accidents. Mm-hmm. So the Austria Ski Federation brought in this new kind of, we want ski schools to teach skidding mm-hmm. over carving. Okay. Um, and, and I say when, when you teach a long turn in the Austrian system, it is a skid and carve mm. um, rather than a fully skidder or fully carved. And you eventually, you do get to carved turns, obviously, mm. but you teach people to skid more, or they want you to teach them to skid more. Um, and I'm all for skidding, because I actually think um, skidding is a greater skill yeah. than carving. Yeah. Um, and skidding and sliding can get you out of all sorts of trouble, yeah. where carving can get you into all sorts of trouble. Yes, you know? yes. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> That's kind of that's. I would say they're the main things about the Austrian the Austrian way of skiing. Um, Did they say anything about why they would want to bring the feet slightly closer together? <laughs> or it's just I think, a we're going, I think I think we're going back to an era of beautiful skiing. Oh, now we're talking aesthetics. Yeah. Well, because yeah, if you look at the old if you look at the old videos of the Alberg mm. of the skiing back then. And it looks, it looks pretty, let's say, mm. you know, and I think they almost want to bring a little bit of that back into the way that the, the, the skiing is done. Okay. That's yeah. interesting. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. And, and they seem to be, I remember looking at some of the old inter-ski videos with when the Austrians were, were there like in sort of an official capacity, I guess. And and it seemed that they were quite, to you're quite sort of solid with your upper body. There's not much freedom of movement there. Like <laughs> yeah. sort of the coat hanger. Yeah. 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 So the, 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 there's there's two things I suppose. One of them, and I, I'll come back to the coat hanger. One of them is we teach the progression goes from being uh, using an up forward movement mm-hmm. and an up forward inward movement rather than this um, retraction and extension of the legs. 
So we teach up movement first, well, uh, then uh, we uh, remove the up movement. So you, you put it in to unweight the ski to get, help the beginner to, to, to get the turn going? At the end of one turn, you'd make an up-forward movement to release the ski. Yeah. Let the ski drift into the fall line, build up pressure on the ski by building up what we call the alpine basic position, mm. um, and then releasing by making an up-forward. Then that becomes an up-forward, slightly inward movement. Yeah. So you're sending the body into the turn before the skis get there. Mm-hmm. Um but then that gets eradicated when we go onto the dynamic shorts and dynamic longs, which are a more stable body, and then the legs are working underneath um, with okay. retraction and extension. So it's uh, like now, a mid, uh, well, like a depending on situation kind of crossover or under or through. Yeah, okay. yeah, pretty much so, pretty much so. And then, as you say, the co- the coat hanger thing is, and we get kind of berated a little bit for this is. It is very much a stable upper body. Everything is that everything happens with the legs mm. and the upper body, especially in a short turn. The upper body faces directly down the hill. Everything works underneath from like the, the hip socket, let's say, down, mm. albeit it's from the ankle up to the hip socket. Mm-hmm. Um, and the shoulders are, are, are basically locked down the hill. The only things that are moving are your wrists for your pole plant. And yeah, people, people refer to it as. Uh, the coat hanger ski instructor so they, there's not so much freedom in the upper body yeah um however once they then go into the off off piece you'll see some of them will allow a little bit more movement there um mm. probably because they're on a 30 meter race ski <laughs> <laughs> you, you gotta do what you gotta but, do to get it to go <laughs> yeah exactly um but no we, they, they, they are pretty much um you need a little bit of core tension in your upper body, kind of is is the thought process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and then the other thing, and I think this is probably the same with all of the systems. You're always active. You're always moving. Mm. So you're you're never you're never in a position, let's say. And this is, this is where it gets confusing with this thing that they call the alpine basic position, or it translates into the alpine basic position. So it's, and I'll probably get this wrong for the German speakers, but alpinus Farfahalten. Okay. Is al- re- translates into alpine basic position, but it's not a position. Mm. So a lot of people who are taught the alpine basic position think it's a position. So yeah. they put themselves into the position and then don't move. Yeah. But it's actually it's a movement and it's a build up of a movement that then ends with a release of that movement. Yeah. So you are continually active, and it can be confusing when learning the alpine basic position for the first time again if the teacher doesn't explain it in the way it should be explained yeah 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 i think you see that in all systems though don't you if 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 like or or someone only takes on board like one little bit of what they've heard you know it might it might be that the the teacher has communicated it perfectly well but it it, you know it hasn't been received properly there's a whole you know there's a whole set of theories behind how we communicate and give and receive messages that kind of thing um okay cool tell me um uh, so in recent years you've you were working at the ski school uh with your old boss and stuff like that Let, let's go on to to snow camp europe now uh, tell me tell me what prompted you to start that and 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 what it's sort of become um in okay. recent years yeah. So how, how it came about um, was I'd been working for a, the first ski school I worked for in, in Caprun. 
and I was um, I was a bit dis- disillu- disillusioned. Is that the right word? Yeah. Um, by the level of customer service, or or the lack of level of customer service um, that was given, yeah. and I thought there was well, there should have been more customer service. Let's say, um, and I started thinking about how how you could give a greater level of customer service. And at the same time, I was almost um, filling my own diary. I was promoting myself via social media and a website. And I was bringing people into the area and I was obviously bringing repeat guests in. Mm-hmm. And um, I was getting very little reward for it. And I'm not necessarily talking monetary reward. I just wasn't even going to thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally in the last season I was there, I booked for one week, I think it was six ski teachers. So I booked myself out. I booked my partner at the time out for the week. And I booked three or four other teachers, all on private for the week. Mm. So we're talking about somewhere between seven and ten grand's worth of business for the ski school. Mm. Now, what I actually had to do is I had to book them all individually at different times um, to enable me to get the teachers that I wanted for the people. Because hmm. I wanted to match the people with the best teachers for what they needed. Yeah. And I actually got I got a bollocking. Who do you think you are booking teachers? It's my job to decide who who teaches who. And I was like, well, I'm sorry, but I'm bringing you something like 10 grand's worth of business. And hmm. these people, in essence, have requested these teachers. Why would you not sell those teachers to those people who are paying 1,000, 1,200 euros at a time? Hmm. You know? Um, and I kind of thought this isn't this isn't the kind of business I want to be working for mm-hmm. um, because the customer should be number one. They're they're on their holiday. They should have a good time. They yeah. shouldn't be made to travel across the village to meet their ski teacher when their ski teacher is then going to take them back across the village to the mountain. Mm-hmm. You know, and all these different things. And um, I I then broke my leg and I had a. I basically ended up, I missed the best part of two seasons. Mm-hmm. And while I was off, I had plenty of time to think about stuff and how I would work it and how I would do it. And I started to build a website and Snow Camps Europe basically was born. And I took the um, the concept to uh, another ski school who instantly said, yes, um, come and work for us, run your concept through our ski school and uh, let's let's give people a really good time mm-hmm. whilst teaching them to ski. And, um, yeah, that, that's how it kind of started. And I got back on skis uh, at the end of that winter that I took snow camps to them. Mm-hmm. Um, albeit I didn't do any snow camps work that year. I had other people do it for me. But they were a lot more about, you tell us who you need, you get them. We'll mm-hmm. book them out, they're yours. And, and one of the big things with snow camps is um, if somebody wants to book a private lesson, um, what I found with many school schools is you'd ring them up or you'd email them or go in and say, can I book a week of privates, please? And they'd say yes. And they'd look at the list of teachers who are available and they'd just take the next one off the top of the list. Yeah. There wouldn't, there wouldn't be any, um, there wouldn't be any question. There wouldn't be like, oh, what level skier are you? Where have you skied before? What do you like? How, how do you like to be taught? Um, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there'd be, there'd be nothing. And one of the things I do with snow camps is I'll have a conversation with every single person who wants to book a lesson. So I make sure I match them with the best teacher, whether it's going to be to communicate with them on their level, 
Um, whether it's because they just want to have fun and ski around the area, whether they're technically minded, whether they're a beginner and they're fearful, whatever it be, I will talk to the people and match them with uh, a teacher from the school or myself, mm. um, and, and then I'll, I'll manage that while they're here. Um, and I don't see ski schools do that, um, or they don't do it well enough. You know, they, they, they literally just go, yeah, if you want a ski teacher, you can have a ski teacher who's available. Um, but with the partner I've got now, we work together to give them the best teacher possible for, for their needs and their wants, basically. Yeah. And uh, what we also do is we, we always say you'll only ever get a level three. So you get a Landis Lira or above, and it won't necessarily be a fresh Landis Lira who's qualified within a year. It'll be someone who's got experience mm -hmm. who I can trust to deliver a lesson to my guest. Because at the end of the day, if they're a Snow Camps Europe guest, they're my guest, mm. and I want them to have the best possible experience on on and off the slope with that ski teacher. Mm. You know? mm. So that's that's one of the things that kind of Snow Camps is about. It's about that, finding yeah. out what the person wants, what they need, what they're missing, and then matching it with a ski teacher. How, how um, easy is that to do as you grow? Because that requires a bit of kind of personal attention yeah detail. so well obviously there's yeah the, the office is basically me now um and it does take up quite a bit of time but what you'll find is that that, that is for people who want to book private lessons um uh, yeah. people who are booking into regular group lessons we can facilitate their group booking mm. and what we do in that respect our kind of our usp is the the the, the actual discount that i gain i pass on to the customer mm-hmm so I'm giving them a slightly discounted group lesson. Now, I can't determine who teaches that group. Yeah. Um, however, I can quite often be teaching that group. Yeah. 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 Um, but I know that the guys who deliver our group lessons, because they're pretty much the same guys every week, mm -hmm. are good guys. Yeah. Um, but what I'll also do is while the person's in resort, Again, I will, I will manage their experience. I'll meet them in the morning. I'll make sure they're okay. Mm. I'll speak to them in the evenings. And, and if there is anything that is, is not right, then I'll get it fixed. Mm, um, yeah. And then outside of that, obviously, we, we run our camps and we run several through the season, typically on non-peak weeks. Yeah. Um, and I'll, so if, if it's, if it's a, a camp of eight people, we'll, we'll have one group. So therefore, you'll get me. Um, whether you like it or not, <laughs> and if, if I need uh, if I need additional teachers, so let's say we've got three groups of six, um, then I will pull in two other teachers who I know are going to deliver and do what they need to do. And typically, they'll be level fours. Um, if I've got, let's say, a five or six group camp, mm. um, I'm not sure that's going to happen this year, but maybe it will. Um, then again, yeah, the, I've got plenty of resource I can call on. And as I say the ski school are very good at giving me the people I want or the people I need. Um, yeah. So, so that's that's how we kind of manage that. And I, as I say, I, I will. It doesn't matter how many people are in resort on any week. I will make sure that I see all of them every day, by hook or by crook, whether it be in the morning at the meeting point, on the yeah. slopes, at lunchtime, at a prey. If I've not seen somebody, I'll call them or I'll message them. Yeah. And I'll be like, "Hey, John, everything good?" Any questions, anything you need, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Um, and therefore, I've got con I'll have contact with every single person every single day, mm. you know, um, because I want them to have a level of service that they don't get anywhere else in Capron. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's really cool. You know, really and then cool. that that kind of brings brings it into the very last point of what Snow Camps is. Mm. Um, um, basically, at, we offer a free and resource service to anybody visiting Product Wars LMZ. Doesn't matter who they're travelling with, whether they're independent, whether they're with Crystal, whether they're with Nielsen's or Ingham's, whether they've come on a train or a bus or a plane. Doesn't matter. Pre-holiday, if you have questions about the area, you want to know anything about restaurant bookings or places to visit or what to do, the best runs, secret spots on the mountain, people can email us, they can call me if they want to, and we give them the information. Once they're in resort, yeah. if, if they need anything, I've lost my skis, what do I do? Or my skis were stolen, what do I do? Mm. We'll send, go, down, go down the police station and fill in a report. If that person hasn't got a clue what to do, I'll go and do it with them. Yeah. You know, if they want to make a restaurant reservation in a full restaurant, I'll get them a table in a restaurant. If it's out of hours, um, last year we had this a lot, out of hours um, chemist. Yeah. So they needed they needed medication out of hours. Where do they go? What do they, uh, isn't, isn't, there, isn't there a tourist office in Caprun? There is, but the tourist office is only open during the day. Okay. And, and a lot of people have I'm only teasing you. It, yeah, it should, shouldn't this be the kind of thing they're doing? Well, yes and no, but what I find is most of the people in the day when the office is open are skiing. Yeah. And when they come off the mountain and they've got a question, the office is closed. So yeah. I almost, I, I wouldn't say I serve as a tourist office, but what the reason the free and resort service came around is Crystal Ski, who are the main, uh, main operator in Caprun, mm. and they are massive in Zalamzi, and then we've got Nielsen and Ingham's in Zalamzi, and there's a few other companies. But Crystal specifically, Crystal's level of rep service mm. has reduced year on year on year since I've been here. Right. And they now don't even have reps on buses from the airport. The reps don't make hotel visits. Mm. They don't have an evening program of quiz, bowling, apre, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. It's, it's, it's gone. Um, and... I, would, I was teaching Crystal guests who would ask me questions that their reps should have been answering mm. day, days and days ago at a welcome meeting, let's say. Mm. Now, okay, not everybody ever went to the welcome meeting, but if you went to the welcome meeting, your question should have been answered. So I'm, I'm, I've basically replaced the Crystal rep, Amazing. of which we used to have four in Capron. They now have one. Yeah. And I will guarantee, and this is me looking into my snow camp jewel crystal ball, <laughs> give it a few years, everybody, there will no longer be holiday reps. No, for sure. Everything will be done via an app, online, on your phone. Yeah. You'll ask a question and somebody in Spain will answer it. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. You know? Yeah. Um, unless you come to Capron and then you just have to call me. Hmm. Do you know, it's, you know, I was just thinking back to the, the reason why you started snow camps. It's funny, actually, because I, I read something. I was reading um, something in a magazine called The Critic, which I, I was reading online the other day. And it was a sort of piece by a guy who was living... <clears throat> he's living in Argentina, Buenos Aires. Uh, and he what he was saying was... was like... there's a certain sort of cultural inertia that if you... and I, fi I find it here in Switzerland as well... I found it in France uh, when I used to live there. It was like, there, there's if you're running around trying to do stuff like a crazy man, like you're trying, like, like a, 
like an English man would, or like an American would, or, or whatever, you know, like, you're, do, you're, you're running around trying to make things happen as if you were within your own culture, and the uh -huh. culture that you're living in does not support that, like, level of activity or level of kind of uh, energy, you end up just banging your head against a brick wall because yeah. you're, you're like, you're sort of swimming against the tide, you know, and I imagine that you found that in Caprun. It drives me bananas sometimes here in Switzerland, this sort of, this sort of, oh, it's always been done that way, so, you know, don't rock the boat, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And it, it's so, it makes you want to tear your hair out sometimes because you're trying to make change or offer something different and people just look at you like you're crazy like yeah. proper nuts you know and it, oh, it, it's a very very hard thing to sort of come to terms with so another thing I was thinking about today you know that that sort of idea that it seems to be it's definitely something in the francophone world anyway that a lot of things tend to come together at the last minute you know, like the, the, the sort of, you know, if you want something to happen, someone would have mentioned it roughly two weeks ago, but no one will really start doing anything about it until about a day before. Yeah. Whereas if you're like super organized, like I am now trying to get people to, you know, get excited about the ski season and, and book stuff in. Well, you know, they're like, yeah, well, you know, the snow's not here yet. Don't worry about it. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, there's, there's like two or three months left before the, the ski season comes. It's like, yeah, but if we don't put it in place now, you know, what are we going to do by the time the snow comes? Blah, 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 and, and they just look at you like, you're crazy. It's, it, yeah, uh, I don't know. I can't remember the exact phrase, but it, that, that's, I imagine that was a similar experience for you when you're trying to get, you know, like say your concept of a decent level of, client care done in Caprun in the old days yeah um, so that's right and um, one or two two kind of examples um, so I when, when I came over obviously I, I run, run the car repair business and before that I was in the drinks industry and I was a little bit older than most of the others and kind of my, my focus was customer service mm. give these people a good time teach them to ski but give them a good time they're on their holidays Mm. They want to. They want to relax. They want to party. They want to do whatever they want to do. And uh, I had a group. This is probably about the fourth week of the season. And two of them said, "Tomorrow we want to go on a sleigh ride, but we have to be there at four. Right. Um, is there any chance we can start the lesson slightly earlier?" So they were saying this to the group. Yeah. Um, half an hour earlier. And the group all went, yeah, of course, you guys want to go on a sleigh ride. And I said, okay, no problem. I said, everybody meet me at the bus stop at 9 instead of 9.30, let's say. Yeah. So I got myself to the ski school office for 8 when uh, the boss would turn up and he crosses the road. What are you doing here? I said, I just wanted to tell you I'm meeting my group at 9 at the bus stop because some of them want to go on a sleigh ride. This is not possible. You cannot do this. You have to meet them at the meeting point at 9.30, which is the way it has always been and it is the way it will always be. And I was flabbergasted. Yeah. I thought it would have been fantastic. You're giving them a good time. Yeah, You're yeah. doing what they want. You're keeping them happy. They're going to come back again. Yeah. You know? The total opposite. Total opposite. Couldn't believe it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, bizarre, bizarre. There's, there's, there's a few different examples. Uh, 
another one, and I, I like to do all of them. <laughs> but another one is um, the meeting point, um, or the, so the, the ski school Kinderland, which also is the meeting point, mm. is in the centre of the village. So somebody could be staying to the left of the meeting point, closer to the glacier. And somebody else might be to the right of the meeting point, closer to the village mountain. Yeah. Now, if I say to the group on Monday afternoon, OK, folks, tomorrow we're all going to ski on the glacier. Two yeah. or three of them are going to say, OK, well, we're at the Kunstown, which is five minutes away from the glacier. Yeah. So we'll meet you at the glacier. I have to say, no, you have to come into Caprun and meet me at the meeting point with everybody else because the boss says you have to. Yeah. And, yeah. They're, and they're like, what? <laughs> so they'll, they'll get the bus at 8.30 into Capron to go to the meeting point to get on a bus at 9.30 to go past where they've come from. <laughs> it's their holiday. I know. <laughs> it's I know. crazy. I know. Um, now, I, 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 um, I, I will I'll add that the ski school that we now partner with do not have that policy. <laughs> Yeah, we can meet people wherever they want to meet. Yeah, <laughs> if only it was that easy, you know. Just literally arrange where you want to meet your client and where they want to meet, and meet them there. Like it's yeah, you know, because it's their holiday, it's their time, and and, and they're also paying. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's extraordinary. What a concept! What a concept! Yeah, I I, I can't see it lasting. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me, just uh, we, I've got a couple of things I just want to. I'd love to finish off and talk to you with that. You you know more than anyone that I know um, about what Austrian. We should probably just touch. You know, I, I should say, listen, we're we're um, we're recording this on September the eighth or ninth, whatever it is. Tenth. 10th, sorry, lost my <laughs> days of going. Um, September the 10th, so by the time that this gets published, uh, it might even be November or October, um, depending on who's in the queue in front of you, Andy. But the, the you know more about what Austrian lifts are planning in terms of like, you know, a lot of people who are going to be skiing are going to be worried about you know, do I need to wear a mask in a lift? Do I need to wear a, a mask on a T-bar? Do I need to do anything special in particular this year? Like, do you, do you just want to fill me in with what you've heard about what Austria is doing about lifts? Because lifts are sort of centrally regulated, aren't they, by in Austria? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's kind of two sides to this at the moment, what we're, we're seeing and hearing and reading. And that is some of the ski resorts have published their covid guidelines let's say mm. um and, and su <laughs> not surprisingly or surprisingly ischgl was possibly the first one mm -hmm. um and then some of the others have followed mm. um now the funny thing is those ski resorts that are opening hopefully within the in about six weeks haven't yet told us what we're doing okay. caprun being one of them um however the ones that have have all pretty much said the same things um Inside gondolas, you're going to wear masks. There'll be social distancing um, in restaurants with tables being spread out. Um, normal business, business as normal on surface lifts and on chair lifts. Mm. Um, and the, the biggest question mark at the moment is over après ski. Um, will it go ahead? How will it go ahead? Mm. Uh, and what's it going to look like? And we still don't really have an answer on that one so far. Mm. And then the other side of it is the Berg Barn 
um, who run the lifts in each resort. And there is like an overriding kind of um, Berg Barn authority, let's say, from the WKO. So to give an example, in, in catering, you have the environmental health to govern mm -hmm. what you can do. So the, the overriding Berg Barn at the WKO, they govern what the Berg Barns can do. And they had a meeting with the government in Vienna. It was about a week or 10 days ago. And the government gave some suggestions and the Berg Barn gave their suggestions. Mm. And again, wearing masks in lifts was suggested as is going to have to happen. Um, and they talked about, I think the government asked them to restrict the number of people within a ski area, which they, they have refused mm. to accept. Uh, they want to open normal numbers, and it's understandable. Um, but one of the things that was proposed, and this was actually proposed by the guy who is on the board from Schmitten, which is ZMZ, and mm. uh, he suggested that lifts should be speeded up um, because 15 minutes seems to be key for infections. Right. And they said if you can speed a gondola up to get the people in and out of the gondola ride under 15 minutes, it should have a positive effect, okay. as well as wearing masks. Mm. And that would also mean that you don't have to reduce the number of people in the lift. Now, unfortunately, people have read this wrong. And some people are now saying they're going to speed up the lifts to reduce the lift queues. No, yeah. they're not. No. Another one was they are um, they have recategorized the lifts to become public transport so they cannot be closed down. But this also is just <laughs> rubbish. All of the lifts in Austria are public transport. You're, they're not reclassifying anything. Yeah. And if they need to be closed down, they will get closed down because they got closed down on the 15th of March. This, you is, know? this is me showing my naivety. I just assumed that all lifts went at full speed all the time. Apparently... Mm. Well, this is interesting, and I saw something recently, and I cannot find it again for love of money on the internet, yeah. whether it's been taken away. But and, and it makes sense, because also the thing that's going to happen, if you think about it, if they speed the lifts up, mm. there will be more people on the slopes yeah. at one point than there would be if the lifts were going at the normal speed. Yes. And what I've, what I've learned recently is ski resorts, the speed of the lifts – are governed by the number of people they want on the slopes at any one time. Yeah. So you will get resorts that have got high-speed lifts, but they've normally got extremely long, wide runs, yeah. like Snowmass in America. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Every lift in Snowmass is a high-speed lift, mm -hmm. but the acreage is massive. Mm. Whereas, let's say, Capron, uh, even though we've got a lot of acreage, we've not got that much piste, let's say, mm. um, the lifts actually run at a speed to keep people in the air or on the ground lifts for a space of time so the slopes don't get full. How about that? I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's actually the movement of people is controlled to allow the skiing to happen. Yeah. Um, and therefore, if they do speed the lifts up, yes, we'll be in there for less than 15 minutes where possible, mm. but there will be more people on the slopes. More people on the slopes is probably going to result in more accidents. Yeah. So it's kind of, would you rather have COVID or a broken leg? <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, even if you've got um, a broken leg, you're going to end up in the hospital next to someone who's got COVID. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So there, 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 there's some of the main things. As I say, there is this massive question mark over Apre Ski because some of the bars that are situated at the bottom of the mountains and on the mountains that are predominantly Apre Ski bars, mm. 80% of their yearly profit comes from Apre Ski. Yeah. And if they have no Apre Ski, then there is going to be no bar yeah. left. No. They're going to go bankrupt. Um, now, I, I, I heard a whisper, and this is not fact. It's probably just a thought of somebody else. Mm. That the government were going to um, almost do, do like a we will bail you out scheme. Yeah. Um, if you're not able to open, we'll give you some money. Um, and I don't know if that's true or not. Um, we, we will wait and see. Um, but this Apres Ski thing seems to be the one thing that we're getting the information on pretty much it's, it's going to be the last the last bit of information. Mm. But what we expect, speaking to bar owners, restaurant owners here in Caprun, is there will be an element of apres ski. It will just not be the party atmosphere of dancing on tables and benches and packed packed, yeah. packed into bars. Yeah. It'll be reduced numbers. And again, one of, the, one of the things that the Berg Barn suggested was apres ski should go ahead with reduced numbers in bars and then the bars close at around 6.37, to disinfect and clean and then reopen later after everyone's had dinner. Yeah. Um, which is possibly one solution. Um, we will have to wait and see. As it is at the moment, we are seeing a spike in infection rates in Austria, predominantly in Vienna. Um, a lot of it, we believe, is people coming back from holiday. We had... Um, a lot of people come back from Croatia. This was just before the UK uh, brought in the quarantine from Austria again. Mm. And our, our figures spiked because of people coming back from Croatia who brought it back with them. Yeah. But we've seen a continued increase. And I think yesterday, I think we had something like 600, 700 new cases, which is a lot for Austria. Yeah. But that said, we're still only sitting at 3,500 active cases and 760 deaths or something like that. So yeah, I mean, well, hopefully by the uh, by the time that this goes out, it will all be all be solved. But we'll see. But um, I, yeah. can't, I can't see that. But the, the the thing about this is, I don't know where this big pivot came to with regards to infection numbers, because when all this started, it was about making room in the hospitals, wasn't it? To, to yes. make sure that the, the hospitals don't go get overwhelmed and now all of a sudden we're talking about infection numbers and this it just seems to this will go on in if we keep talking about infection numbers you know and uh, which is essentially just a, a measure of how well your country is set up for testing people right yeah you know like we're going to be doing this in perpetuity yeah. aren't we you know like you, you test for yeah. something you'll find stuff it, it, yeah, exactly. You know, it's it, it, the original purpose of, of all of these businesses that have gone to the wall and all of this other stuff is you know we were we were shutting down to make room for the health services which were going to be overwhelmed. Well, look, they're not overwhelmed anymore. You know, there's capacity. So at some point, we've got to let everybody free, right, and and go about our business. That would be yeah. that seems to be the thing that's been lost in all of this. All of this talk about infection numbers now. It's very strange. Yeah. I don't really understand to be, it. To, to, be, to be fair, here in Austria, since uh, for the last couple of months, we we have been able to go about our business. Um, we have to wear a mask in a supermarket, a, a doctor's surgery, or a chemist in a bank. Mm. But other than that, you've been able to pretty much do everything. Dan dancing apparently is not on the cards, although I do have to say I was 
couple of weeks ago. I was dancing. Because yeah, um, like, like I like a badge, I do like a bit of a dance. Um, <laughs> and it was only the day the day after that I was told I shouldn't have been dancing. I was like, well, nobody told me not to dance. You oh, know? It's, it's been very, very similar here in Switzerland. Like it's been business as usual, really, uh, here with a bit of mastery. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, I'm just about okay with that. Just about okay with that. Um, tell me, what, uh, last last question for you, really, um, as our sort of uh, Austrian correspondent. What's 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 with you know? You live there and you've lived there for some time now. What what's with all the eagles? Like I, when I went to Austria, you see eagles everywhere. Not like real ones, like images of eagles everywhere. What's what's that all about? Uh, <laughs> Maybe it was just a mile. As, as you know, like on on, on, on on the crests and on the badges and things. Yeah, yeah, like everywhere. Oh no! Um, gotcha. I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got to be honest and say I don't know why, but I have a very good idea of why. <laughs> but uh, I, I wouldn't kind of want to say it in case it's wrong. And uh-huh. um, yeah. is it like it's like but a national symbol or something? Like everyone uses the eagle. I don't know. Like. Well, we have, we have a, we have a lot of eagles. Obviously, we have a lot of eagles flying around. We 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 driving up to the restaurant yesterday. We saw four, two okay. pairs. Yeah. Swooping around, um, um, but I, I will find out. I will find out because I know that obviously on the centre of the ski teacher badge, if you have your stats badge, right? there is an eagle. Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously, our friend Adolf used to be fond of an eagle badge. Um, well, yeah, they did like an eagle, those guys. But the the the, yeah. the, the thing that when where I saw it the most, it wasn't in Meyerhofen. There's the other place beginning with M, um, just down the road from Hintertux. Anyway, it was um, I went through there and like all of the you know the main Austrian ski school, big eagle on the doors, like all, all of the the shops, you know, eagle, eagle, eagle. And I'm yeah, like, what is it, it is almost it is almost a national symbol, and I will find out why. Because I have to say, it's one thing that I don't know. Although I do know that on all of our flags, on yeah. all of our badges, um, there is a there is a commemorative statue for the Kaiser Franz Joseph down the road. Yeah. That is an eagle. Yeah. Um, Eagle. I'll find out. I will find out. Listener, if you know what the, uh, the eagle thing is with the Austrians, we'd love to know. Um, I'm sure someone, will, Toby will probably just me- message me and say, hey, this is what it's all yeah. about. Um, um, Andy, we're, we're, if people want to contact you for anything Caprun related or Snow Camps Europe related, where can they find you? So, uh, website is snowcampseu.com. Okay. Uh, if people want to email me, it's info at snowcampseu.com. Mm-hmm. We are very active on Facebook. Um, and again, it's snowcampseu on Facebook. And I go live probably on average through the season three or four times a week. Um, through the off season, maybe twice. Normally when I'm walking my dog in the morning, because mm-hmm. people seem to be very interested in the dog and not, not always what I'm saying. Um <laughs> So I, so I do that anyway. Um, if anything comes up that is, um, I think is of interest, then I will jump on at any time of the day and do a live about an update, whether it be COVID or lifts or snow. Yeah. And then once a week, I also, uh, through the season, post a snow report on YouTube. Again, just put Snow Camp Europe into YouTube and you'll find, I think we've got 400 or so videos on there now. Right. And then also, um, Sunday evenings, most Sunday evenings, um, on the Sunday ski cast at 
8, uh, 8 p.m. Central European time, so 7 o'clock UK time. I will be asking the questions to somebody from the ski industry. Well, I will be asking the viewers' questions to somebody from the ski industry. Mm. Um, uh, most most Sundays, um, definitely every Sunday during the season and most Sundays during the off-season. So, yeah, there, there are a few places that you can find me. Um, and if you are coming to Kabul, let me know because you can buy me a beer. Yeah. Right, a... a, a, a um officially sanctioned apreski safe beer yeah exactly uh, obviously after we've been for a ski yes absolutely cool Andy thank you so much for um, taking the time this evening I really really appreciate um, you taking the time out of your day and uh, I wish you all the very best of luck with the season to come Thank you very much. Um, same back to you guys in Switzerland. And yeah, thanks. For, as I said at the beginning, thanks for having me on. And uh, it's been a great chat. All right, cool.